Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 143, released on November 30th, 2016, proudly sponsored by our good friend Patrick O'Neill. My name is Steve Eunice, and I'm joined by my good friend Scotty V. Hey, Scotty. Hello, Steve. Hello, everyone listening. How's it going? Yeah, going well. It's uh, approaching the end of 2016. We've got um, the here we are at the end of November and uh, one month to go. And uh, where has the year gone? It's been very quick. I mean, the time, <laughs> every time I turn around, I'm older, my kids are bigger, life seems to be passing me by. <laughs> uh, a little bit like that, doesn't it feel like that? Yes, uh, I can, uh, I can, uh, I can relate definitely just flies by and you know you know just where has the year gone where is life going but anyway that's not the subject that we're here to talk about we're here to talk about the fun stuff that's been happening in the world of superman and as we like to do we'd like to start with movie news and there hasn't been a lot this past month um a few tidbits here and there not much to really sink our teeth into but i guess uh, the main one for the upcoming justice league movie was the fact that uh, there was a report that Sirian Hines has been cast in the role of, Ste- of Steppenwolf for the Justice League movie. Now, we don't know if that's a live-action role, if that's a motion-capture role, but uh, we did see Steppenwolf in a deleted scene or extended scene for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, and that was a, a completely CGI character. So uh, an interesting bit of news there for casting. Well, it's, uh, it is interesting. Um... I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones. I don't really know him from anything else, so I, I definitely, uh, know, you know, I've seen his capabilities as an actor, but the interesting thing is, I guess he's going to be motion capture and just voicing um, Steppenwolf because uh, from what I've heard, he's not actually going to appear in the movie as a man. Mm. So it's It's strange, I mean... Yeah, whether it's a live-action one or, as I said, CGI, maybe it is just his voice because uh, he does seem to have a very um, unique type of voice and that's, you know, very distinctive. Right. Well, um, the other interesting thing is is that they were saying that the character of Steppenwolf is going to look differently from the way he appeared in the deleted scene from Batman v Superman, which I guess for most theatre-goers that'll be fine because they didn't get to see that. But uh, why do you think they would uh, change up his look? Well, maybe the way he appeared in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice was more of a, um, you know, it seemed he seemed to disappear in the way that the Kryptonian technology for visualizations and those kinds of things appear. You know, like he dis- disintegrated in, and it was seemed like all metallic, similar to the way that all the Jarrell stuff that he showed uh, Kal-el in Man of Steel using all that, um, I don't know what you call filaments or whatever they call So maybe that was just a representation of Steppenwolf using um, that technology rather than the actual Steppenwolf in person himself. All right. That's an, that's a, uh, an explanation that I can get behind. We'll see if they go into explaining it, or maybe we'll just be expected to see that this is his real-life representation as opposed to whatever it was we saw in the fortress for those of us who actually did see it. Mm, yeah, exactly. Now, the only other bit of news there is uh, for a possible follow-up to Man of Steel was a further confirmation from Amy Adams, who has gotten on the back of 
what we heard previously from Henry Cavill's uh, manager, who said that there is uh, a film in active development and uh, that's kind of all planned out and mapped out, all, even though there isn't a script in that. And Amy Adams confirms that, yes, you know, she's heard the same things. No, she hasn't seen the script. It's still early days, but she has heard that that's happening. And uh, so I guess just another bit of confirmation from someone in the know. Well, two episodes ago on Great Scott, I kind of covered the idea that Man of Steel 2 was happening while at the same time acknowledging that nobody official has come out and said that it is. And by official, I mean someone writing a script, uh, the people at Warner Brothers, the, uh, the people who actually make the movie. Amy Adams is official in terms of she's involved in this movie universe, but... I don't know how much she actually can be relied upon to know, not that she's lying, but that, that it's actually happening, as opposed to her just saying, oh, yes, uh, since 2012 or whatever, I have heard whisperings that there would be a sequel, as opposed to knowing that something is actively going on. And at the same time, we've had uh, Henry Cavill's agent, I guess, confirm that that's the next thing he's going to be going into working on, which, again, is nice to hear, but with no actual official confirmation, it seems odd that either of these people would say things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not Zack Snyder or it's not, uh, you know, a producer or somebody saying it's in the works. It's just uh, hearsay at this moment from people beyond just fans. So I guess it gives us something to, to latch on to, but uh, as you say... Nothing really that we can sink our teeth into because there's nothing official. It's not a confirmation as far as any official capacity. It's just someone who, a bit more above the level of, you know, reporters from newspapers or media sites or fan sites who is actually possibly her hearing something that is more connected than those that I've just mentioned. Right. And again, it's, it is exciting. It's, it's nice to hear because you would think that these two people would have uh, some inside knowledge of what was being done that maybe hasn't been yet released because the agent needs to know because he's signing the contracts mm. and making the deals and Amy Adams uh, assumedly will play Lois Lane in the movie so <clears throat> she would have maybe an earlier insider's knowledge than what has yet been released. Uh, the other thing that you have to be concerned about as Superman fans and as people who maybe enjoyed the Man of Steel movie, or even those who didn't but maybe want to see a sequel go in a different direction, the thing you need to be concerned about, at least from my standpoint, from what it seems is, it's always one of those things where every minute we're being told by somebody, whether it's official or not, how disappointing the returns were, how uh, both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman underperformed, and how... Uh, they 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 uh, they know that Batman's bankable, so we're getting a trilogy with Ben Affleck writing for Batman, but still no words, still no movement, still nothing happening. And the only thing we've heard about Justice League, in terms of Superman, is that he will have a very minor role, barely appear, and show up toward the end. Oh well, again, we haven't heard anything in any f official capacity along those lines. That's just hearsay about what's happening with the Justice League movie because we really don't know anything from anybody official about how much involved Superman is. And I thought the writers came out and said he's going to have a, a big, important role, but that uh, he won't appear until the final third of the movie. 
Uh, I think we heard something along those lines, but again, it's similar to what Amy Adams has said. We haven't heard from the writer himself that I can remember because um, I don't remember hearing any interviews with... Who is it? Is it Chris Terrio who's writing the script for Justice League or wrote the script? I'm not certain. I just thought that's where that report came from, the writers. I didn't know who else that would be that said that unless that was another one of the you know, websites you mentioned that mm. just comes out with things and who knows what to take from that. Well, we'll have to wait and see just what does happen. It is a year away. We are in November as we're releasing this, and, and that is the a, you know a yearly mark. November 2017 is the year that Justice League will come out. So uh, we're still a year away, but it's closer than ever before. <laughs> well, I I mean we had this discussion with Batman v Superman and with Man of Steel. You know the time. Uh, again, you started the podcast by talking about how time flies, and mm-hmm. this is a another situation where with both of those movies, and it seems every time we're waiting for something, we talk about it for a year, two years, it, it seems so far away, and, and yet both of those movies have come and gone, and, and even Batman v Superman seems like extremely old news. At this point, even though it uh, still only came out this year, but time is going by and and, uh, the year will come uh, seemingly sooner than you would think it would. Because, (laughs) again, uh, it It seems I remember this almost exact situation with both Man of Steel and Batman v Superman where everyone was anxious and everybody was waiting. And we kept saying it's so long, you know, it's still a year away. You know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more developing between then and now. But. But uh, it's going to get here, and uh, we're going to be, uh, before you know it, talking about uh, what we thought of it. Yep, exactly. All right, well, the only other bit of Superman news or Superman-related movie news is a sad uh, report that uh, actor Robert Vaughn passed away. Uh, he was, for Superman fans, best known as uh, Ross Webster in the movie Superman 3. Uh, the villain who was a bit more like the Lex Luthor we know if you if you're um, you know more of a modern day comic book fan, but uh, to fans worldwide he was probably better known as um, uh, in the role for the Man from Uncle, which was recently played by Henry Cavill. Um, in a bit of a coincidence there, um, it all comes back to Superman. <laughs> it does. So uh, he he passed away recently, and uh, uh, you know uh, it will be fondly remembered for. The great career that he did have. Yes, absolutely. Uh, as much as the movie uh, Superman Three uh, can be maligned, and as much as uh, I personally uh, enjoy bits bits of it, it still it really hasn't gone down in history as a great Superman movie. But uh, as you say, he played kind of a, and I think it was one of the shortcomings of the the original casting and the and the kind of the original way they decided to go with Lex Luthor because when they did get to Superman 3 uh, they couldn't then say this guy was Lex Luthor but they but they were in that kind of age where video games and computers and the idea of that type of entertainment was was kind of on the cusp of happening and so it was a hot topic to have a guy who had this kind of digital technology and created this robotic machinery and had the whole Atari game with Superman flying and avoiding <laughs> missiles. And uh, and you had Robert Vaughn saying, you know, let's see how long he didn't get along without any air. And I think that was the woman who said that. But, but you know, putting him in a bubble. And uh, it was one of those points where I always thought, well, 
if that if it's that easy, you think just every villain would just put him in a vacuum and easily defeat Superman if if he's going to suffocate and, and 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 you know fairly quickly. But uh, but he was a uh, and again, it was an over the top uh, movie. The 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 movie itself was much more comedic than the other uh, incarnations in the series. And uh, Robert Vaughn was no different in that film. He was kind of over the top, but he was this businessman who had lots of money and was who had controlling interests in oil and things of that nature, which is much more like, as you say, the Lex Luthor that we're used to. So uh, it was an interesting portrayal in, in, in a very, very interesting film, but uh, I definitely remembered for that role. For me, I, I don't know that I have ever seen him in anything else. I know he was in Man, Man from U.N.C.L.E., and that, of course, is his... I guess most well-known role, mm-hmm. but uh, Superman three, you know, one of those, one of those things we'll all have to remember, regardless of whether we liked it or not. And uh, he was one of the good points, I think. Yeah, yeah. He passed away earlier in November at the age of 83 after a brief battle with acute leukemia, and leaves behind his wife Linda, son Cassidy, and daughter Caitlin, who we pass on our condolences to. So sad news there. Robert Vaughn, rest in peace. All right, uh, now let's move into some TV news where we had some uh, a fantastic announcement, uh, announcement that I think a lot of fans didn't see coming and were hope, hoping for. I remember we ran it as an uh, April Fool's Day joke a couple of years back. That's how much people wanted it. But it is how it's happening. It's, it's official. Young Justice is coming back for a third season after being cancelled by Cartoon Network uh, a couple of years back. Uh, Young Justice coming back to Cartoon Network for a third season. The uh, Everyone who was involved is coming back. And uh, it finished in 2013, but will be back, I believe, in sometime in 2017. Mm, this is fantastic news. Uh, great animated show. I talked about it many, many times. I think it had the greatest depth. I think it had the greatest um, uh, sense of seriousness, even though it was a cartoon. And I think that it had a lot of uh, interweaving plot lines and just they set up mysteries weeks in advance that they got to later. Uh, Things that I think even the TV side of the live action universe, which is chugging along really strongly and people are loving, I think still fails on a lot of levels in terms of really good writing and, and, and planting seeds and having those seeds grow into fruition, uh, something that Young Justice did really, really well. And I actually think it's probably why it didn't last long enough on Cartoon Network, because as we see with uh, Justice League action that's just been released, it's really a network that's for uh, the ADD generation, the idea that uh, we only have a very short attention span, we want to watch really quick snippets, we want them to be a little goofy and really kind of silly, and we don't want to have to think about them too much. And I think Young Justice required a little more attention than that. I think mm, it required you to, to... Yeah, it was more mature, it, 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 and it, was, it required you to pay attention to things and follow dialogue and, and things that the YouTube uh, generation is not really used to doing. You know, you, you know, you're watching these goofy videos of people being crazy, the Vine generation, and, of course, Vine, the app just shut down, and it's gone forever, I guess, not that long ago. But the idea that people just want to watch quick, even Twitter, you know, uh, 144 characters. We want little, quick, quippy jokes or things like that. We can't get too involved with, especially a cartoon that has these deep plots and is really uh, 
you know, it has a lot of depth to it and depth of character and mysteries that play out over 10 episodes. And mm-hmm. so it's great to see that, that, you know, something like Netflix, which I'm just, I'm super pleased with the things I've been watching on Netflix. I think they do a great job and I think it's a great platform. Yeah, well, uh, Young Justice is coming back for a third season. Uh, the president of Warner Brothers Animation, Sam Register, said, we are excited to bring the show back for this, lo- for its, this loyal fan base and provide an opportunity for new viewers to discover in this excellent series. As I said, producers Brandon Vietti and Greg Weissman are back. They're the creators of the series. They're both re- returning. Uh, but no other further details have been released at this point in time. Actually, we don't know if it will be on Cartoon Network or which network it will be on. Uh, we don't yet know a premiere date, but we have a, a tentative website at yjs3.com, which you can check out. And I think they will. you can like register there, and I'll send you further details in your email to update you on uh, updates as they happen. So, Young Justice season season three in production. Well, for some reason, I was under the impression it was going to be on Netflix. That's why I went on about Netflix. But uh, that was my reasoning for going into that. And I I remember I don't know if it was if it was the April Fool's joke that was run uh, that that we had initially uh, tried to pretend it was going to be coming back on Netflix, or if it's just the idea that we've been saying for so long. Not you necessarily, but fans and things that Netflix would be a great place for it. Yeah, I think that's where uh, it doesn't really from. matter where, as long as they put in the time and they're willing to, uh, you know, have it, you know, last as opposed yeah, stick to, to it. you know, bringing it back and then saying, well, we didn't get the, I, I don't know, we don't we don't have the quick fix generation watching, so we got to get rid of it. I don't I don't know. But it hasn't. Uh, I'm kind of happy it hasn't been announced for Cartoon Network. But I guess I figure that's probably where it's going to be, being that I'm wrong now <laughs> that it's not Netflix. <laughs> well, it could be Netflix. Well, let's have uh, yeah, wait and see what happens because the uh, Cartoon Network, as you say, didn't do it any justice back when it was on. So it didn't really help us out that uh, it kept jumping around where here, there, and everywhere. So we'll have to wait and see. But as you did mention. Justice League action did premiere um, in the US. It's um, an 11-minute episode. Um, I think they do two back-to-back, or maybe that's just in the UK. Uh, the UK has already uh, premiered the, um, the, the first episode, Saturday, November 26th, and uh, there'll be other episodes airing uh, weekly on a weekly basis. The US uh, premiere will be on Friday, December 16th. Uh, it will be a four-part special event titled Shazam Slam, uh, with new episodes then airing on Saturday mornings starting December 24th on Cartoon Network. And um, there have been a few clips released online. As I said, they're 11-minute episodes, so it's like a 15-minute block. And they do, uh, I believe, put them two episodes back-to-back for a half-hour block or 25-minute block. So uh, check that out. On Cartoon Network in the US, Friday, December 16th, the premiere will take place. Have you uh, had the release uh, in Australia? Not as yet. I've been looking for it. Uh, It may not be until January here because I believe some other countries, uh, Belgium and some other ones, uh, are also getting a January release. So uh, I've kept an eye on the the schedule here for TV uh, programming, but I have not seen Justice League action um, scheduled yet, and they usually do about a two-week schedule that you can check out. So I haven't seen it for the first couple of weeks of December yet. So it may not be till early January for us. 
So what about uh, online or digitally? Is there is it is it available to people, or do they have to wait until it premieres? Is there a new? Can you see aside from clips? Are are these going to be available to watch streaming or online anywhere? Good question. I don't know if Cartoon Network will release them, seeing as how they're short clips. I know that um, DC Comics uh, released all those. Um, what were they? Uh, little the shorts that they had for DC Nation. They were all eventually released online, but you'll probably find if you go to the Cartoon Network website that the episodes may be able to be streamed there. Not live necessarily, but I guess that would probably still be regional-based, meaning that if you're not in the US, then just like with the CW app or anything like that, you won't be able to watch episodes um, unless you're from the US necessarily. So uh, good question, but we'll have to wait and see. All right. If anybody in the U.K. has uh, access to the U.K.-based website now that the shows have aired and, and you want to let us know if they're then able to watch after they've been aired or if there's a place uh, for you guys to watch them, that, that'd be good to know because mm. then we might be able to infer that once they release in other countries, they would then also be available, but uh, we'll have to see. Yep, exactly. All right, well, let's move on to talk about Supergirl. There have been, what is it, Four episodes as we're recording this podcast that have aired since our last podcast. And the first one of those was Survivors, episode four of season two. And in this one, it's uh, the Fight Club, I guess, if you want to call it that. Uh, Roulette, the ringmaster who commands aliens to fight in Mortal Kombat for the entertainment of rich humans. Uh, they're uh, obviously involved uh, Martian Manhunter, Supergirl, um, and uh, Magan was heavily involved in this episode too. Absolutely, it was. It was. Uh, I don't remember if that was the one where he went to her, or if it happened in the episode before that. But I was, I was very emotionally affected by him discovering that there was another Martian yeah. still alive, and I, I thought it was very touching and uh, very dramatic. And then, of course, once we get into the episode, and it's a kind of a repeated and oft-scene plot that they use on these superhero shows, a fight club where super-powered beings are made to fight against each other for uh, betting and entertainment purposes. And, of course, uh, we have the always-present ringmaster woman who is this person who only cares about the money and says there's no rules protecting them so she can keep doing it and no matter how many times you try to interfere Supergirl you're not going to be able to stop me that kind of thing seems mm. to again be another oft repeated thing that seems to happen in these episodes but it was interesting that the the bout was meant to be between the two Martians and uh, of course we see Megan uh, unwilling to follow through with the killing which is what they wanted from her yeah exactly and uh it was not one of the greatest episodes it didn't have a lot of character development we did see a bit of development for monel and the fact that kara was trying to take him under her wing and trying to bring him into like the superhero light if you want to try to get him to follow in her footsteps so to speak because she never got to bring up kal-el and help him because he wasn't a baby when she arrived here he'd already become superman and so she feels almost like this is her chance to you know 
um, perform the duty that she was sent to Earth to, to do in the first place by her parents. And she can do that with Monel, but um, obviously the difference in personality, the difference in age, the difference in their upbringing uh, ha has caused a bit of problems for the two uh, since that uh, since that had kind of came to fruition. Yeah, well, we've seen uh, through the next few episodes the relationship develop and the idea that um, you know Monel wants to kind of be more of a partier. He's interested in the women, as mm. we saw with Eve <laughs> Tessmacher, which of course is a uh, little call out to fans, I guess. She's very unlike Miss Tessmacher from the Superman movies. So from what I can tell, it's really just a matter of using name the name just yeah. so just so that it's there. But uh, that was a that was an incredibly um, kind of sexy scene where uh, Kara, I don't know what episode it was in, but where she overheard the uh, amorousness happening and, and went in and kind of um, broke in on them in a uh, state of undress. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, as far back as Lois and Clark back in the 90s, they were in various states of undress uh, many, many times. And and were said to have had sexual relations and been in bed together, and uh, it was a romance, so it happened almost every episode with somebody. Well, even as far so, back as uh, uh, Superman 2. Well, yes, yes, and that, of course, is a movie, and that was related, I think that was rated PG, and I think mm. um, maybe today it would be PG-13. I don't know if, if PG-13 was um, around back then. In, in existence yet. I think that was 19... What was that, 81 that Superman 2 came out? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, and I think yep. uh, PG-13 was a rating that was introduced for Temple of Doom, which was 83, and they actually created that rating for Temple of Doom because okay. uh, Steven Spielberg refused to, to uh, accept an R rating, so they actually had to create a whole new rating system. But uh, I think today maybe that... Before that scene, uh, Superman 2 may have been rated um, uh, PG-13, but uh, we have here a show that—the uh, reason I bring it up is because I I have recently seen a post where uh, several people have—and I don't know them, but I've seen comments to uh, akin to people saying, I used to be able to watch this with my children, but mm. now I can't. And it reminds me of uh, Man of Steel or of uh, Batman v Superman. The one thing that I am disappointed in with those films, and 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 to to make me happy, they may not be able to fix this problem. So maybe I'm being hypocritical, and that is that uh, I, if they don't. I don't know that I feel incredibly comfortable with introducing to children children to to Superman through these movies no. because they're very dark and they're very violent, uh, depressing. And then there's a lot of violence and there is the snapping of the neck, which is, has been a great source of humor for all the critics. Uh, but, um, so it's not the, it's not the, um, family friendly, you know, homegrown kind of girl next door feeling that we get from Supergirl, which now, as I said, with some of these more, uh, more grown-up plot lines, Alex discovering her own sexuality, Monel undressing Eve Tessmacher in front of everyone in the office, these kinds of things maybe are turning off some families from being comfortable. But on the other hand, I felt the same way about Smallville when I watched it, and I didn't have young children at that point that I was watching the show with. 
But but my feeling there was, is this really what we want to be showing ninth grade high schoolers doing? I mean, as early as the first season, mm. uh, the, the the students in the cold episode were talking about how they were showering together and and the, and then sneaking into the shower with each other, and it was a very kind of adult mature uh, subject matter on a show on the CW, which was the uh, CW at the time, or was the uh, what WB. was the WB at mm. the time, but it, which was has always been marketed toward a younger audience. So uh, I don't think it's a new thing with Supergirl, but but I do think it's happened recently on this show, which has been fairly innocuous in terms of showing sexuality before now. Mm, no, I agree with you. It has uh, escalated somewhat in season two. The episode that you were referring to with uh, Monel and Miss Tessmarker was Crossfire, which was the next episode, um, and that uh, involved a ruthless new gang um, being armed with dangerous new alien technology, weapons that were given to them by Cadmus, and Cadmus is uh, fairly open with the DEO, sending them a video saying, yes, we are behind the ones, uh, we're the ones behind these, uh, these weapons being given to these criminal elements. And, uh, and that's the episode that uh, Monel gets a job at as an intern at CatCo and things go awry, as you mentioned. And um, it's also an episode where James makes an important decision about what he wants to start doing with his life. And um, Lena invited Cara to a, a fundraiser there as well at, uh, at Luthor Corp or L Corp or whatever she's calling it these days. But um, it was, a, a, I guess, a, a seminal episode where things started moving forward for certain characters. Yeah, and this is where the first in a series of issues that I have with the James Olsen character started to come to fruition. And, and my, my biggest issue is... James has never been trained. Uh, he, he, you know, Arrow, which is this uh, kind of is in the same sort of vein as where he's this, he, he decides he wants to become a vigilante, which hasn't yet happened yet, but in the episode, but uh, he, he, he did not have five years on an island. He was not trained by Russian mob types. He did not you know, uh, learn how to survive by being alone on an island and trying to be assassinated every week. This is James Olsen, who grew up uh, idolizing Superman, and have they have mentioned once or twice that he is a black belt. Uh, mm -hmm. It just kind of came out of nowhere. It was yeah. never mentioned before. We never saw him in any fighting of any kind. And then because they knew where they wanted to go with it, they suddenly mentioned that he's a black belt. But in this very episode... A couple of thugs with guns easily take him out. They don't use the advanced weaponry to do it either. Uh, they're just some thugs, and they're clearly not trained in any sort of fighting either. And they easily take him out, and he can't get to the weapon on the ground. And and uh, the van drives away, and it's and he's laying there. And then he decides he wants to be a vigilante. Well, a guy who can't even defend himself and jumps to action but fails. And then uh, only a couple of weeks later, we see where we're at. And so this was the beginning to me of just an overuse of the James Olsen character as this super fighting ninja guy where we've never seen him do anything like that before. And the one time we see him try, he fails miserably. 
Yeah, and I, I guess the problem with James in this particular season and early on was the fact that the relationship between he and Kara was cut off and kind of put to the side. And other than him becoming the head honcho at Catco, taking over Cat Grant's role, there really wasn't a, a role for him in the series. Uh, he seemed to have been kind of like lost to uh, to the main character roster. But uh, I guess they developed a story for him that made him more um, prevalent and, and more of an interesting character to some people by creating the Guardian persona and uh, that's where he's decided to go um, in the next episode titled Changing which is episode 6 of season 2 he debuts as Guardian and he decides to uh, lend a hand to Supergirl uh, after a, a, uh, the introduction of Parasite in this version of uh, the TV series, we see this uh, very interesting introduction to the series, to this episode, where it's uh, you know in a remote location. There's a, a it's almost like um, a, an episode of um, the X Files or um, a, you know a particular horror movies where you got you know a certain a crew in a remote area, an ice area where there's you know an alien. Uh, uh, parasite that uh, is found within the carcass of an animal, and, and they go forward and there from there, and it comes it becomes the parasite, which was an interesting take on the, on the origins of the parasite character. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed the take on the parasite here. I, I thought it was a nice a nice way to uh, present it, uh, even though we didn't really receive an explanation as to what this alien being was or where it came from. It was interesting that this was this was already a parasitic organism that was apparently alien in nature, mm -hmm. and then it bonded with Rudy Jones. I liked that they used his name. Yes. I liked that, uh, even though they kind of changed the character into this environmental scientist type, which he's never really been before. Uh, but I like that they used his name, and I like that they kind of have a symbiotic relationship, which is what it was in the comics and what it's been uh, in other uh, other incarnations, such as the animated series. Uh, and then what we haven't seen before is the excuse as to why they mutated into the parasite, the mm. purple, giant, muscular, energy-sucking being that we all know as that character. And the quick one-off excuse they gave was that it was because he uh, siphoned from Supergirl and Martian Manhunter at the same time, yeah. and that must have been what caused it to happen. Now, since we don't have any actual scientific uh, experience in this matter, and since <laughs> that part of the show is completely fictitious and made up, none of us can really argue that that wouldn't happen. So that's their explanation, and that's what they're sticking to. Exactly, and it's pseudoscience, I guess, and that's what you have to put your disbelief aside for these types of shows is that that kind of stuff can happen and does happen and you don't try to explain it too much. Uh, we also saw Monel uh, going down a bit of a darker path, uh, becoming a bit of a thug for money, uh, collector, a debt collector, if you like, um, and we also saw Alex, as you say, struggling with her new reality and trying to decide what's you know what's happening with her. So the, the title of changing for the episode was uh, not just for the parasite and the changes that happened with Rudy Jones, as you mentioned, but also the changes that Monel was going through and the changes that Alex is experiencing as well in her life. That's well, a very apt title, and there's a lot of changing going on with a lot of the characters. I uh, continue my J James Olsen issue here, and the problem is, and I've had many people mention to me that it seems to them 
that Jimmy Olsen could take everybody and that he's the most powerful of them all. And, of course, part of that is joking, but part of that is also a little bit apt. And the problem is when you, like you said, maybe it's because they ran out of storyline or whatever, but when you show that Monel, Supergirl, are both thrown aside with ease by this parasite because he's so strong. And then you see James Olsen, who has no training, as I mentioned before, uh, save the magical black belt that he suddenly has, and yet some thugs on the street were able to take him out very easily. It's very hard to swallow, and I know you just mentioned suspension of disbelief, but the show itself just showed him as an inept street fighter in the very last episode, and now suddenly... He runs up after both Monel and Supergirl are knocked aside with ease, and this larger than Hulk character uh, is is first of all he hits the shield. Okay, there's an electric charge on the shield that knocks the parasite back. That was purposely put there by Win. Great job, Win. But then Jimmy Olsen gets into a hand-to-hand combat situation where he's ducking punches and able to stand up to him until. The uh, until the the uh, DEA uh, what is it DEO people come and start shooting at the parasite and then he leaps away. But it's very hard to swallow when we've had no development of James. He just sort of became this with no training and no ability. And the show itself is contradicting the ability that he suddenly magically has one episode earlier showing us that he can't even stand up to a high school age thug. And now he's fighting this giant, super strong uh, creature that has knocked both Mono and Supergirl aside and Martian Manhunter with ease every time. Yeah, it is a a bit of a stretch. And I guess um, I'll attribute some of that assistance to win and his uh, suit and his uh, the abilities he's maybe uh, engendered into the suit but yeah it is it's a stretch jimmy's not uh, other than being a black belt um he's uh, had no training or hasn't excelled or I- increased his abilities since that time as you say the thug has knocked him down and uh, the only thing i can suggest or, or include there is that he's more prepared this time and actually was ready for it and went into action rather than being caught uh, on the spot at at the time of those the thugs that uh, that they attacked. But I just yeah. think they took it too far because yeah, I'm okay yeah, yeah. with him running out in stupidity and slash bravery and throwing up the shield, which knocks the parasite back. But probably at that point uh, that is when the DEO and everybody should have shown up mm. and they should have all controlled him together as opposed to showing Jimmy in this fighting position with the parasite for several seconds or minutes before it all happened because uh, he doesn't he doesn't actually hit him and yet several you know super powered speedy super fast characters weren't able to avoid the same blows that Jimmy seems to be easily dodging the other thing i wanted to mention was that uh, i think this is another place where Supergirl is wrong, and the last time she apologized for being uh, quote-unquote racist toward Monel for being a Daxamite and her preconceived notions of what a Daxamite is and that, that Monel is the same, and she immediately hated him upon finding out that he was a Daxamite. But in this case, other than the idea that it might be an illegal job, if it even is, 
she is placing her own belief system on somebody else. And, and, and it's kind of like um, a, a really over uh, over ambitious parent who expects their child to follow in their footsteps. And when they don't, condemning them and yelling at them and berating them. Um, I don't care one way or another about, you know, who Monel is or what the deal is. But from 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 a super family member perspective, it's very wrong, I think, to berate someone for not doing what it is you think they should be doing. Now, if he's being criminal or if he's doing something illegal as Supergirl, she might come and say, I can't allow you to keep doing that. But that's not what she's doing. She's saying, you're supposed to be a hero. You're supposed to do good things. You're supposed to do what I want you to do, and I'm disappointed. I guess it's okay to be disappointed, but I think that Kara was completely wrong in this entire episode, the way she talked to Monel and her expectations of Monel. And of course, he steps up at the end. So she's kind of proven to be right in that she had a strong belief in him. But then even Alex goes in and berates him in the bar. It says, I don't care about you, Monel, but it's Kara who believes in you. Uh, what, what, who's to say that he wasn't meant to be a garbage man? Who's to, you know, going back to the parents and son or analogy or whatever. Who's to say that just because you became a uh, brain surgeon that I'm not meant to be a street sweeper and that's not what I'm supposed to be? So I felt that uh, that was a missed opportunity for her to once again have some character growth herself in realizing that she once again has gone to a prejudging standpoint and once again has placed maybe unrealistic uh, feelings and goals upon somebody who might not have them and has every right to not have them. He doesn't have to be what Supergirl became just because she wants him to be, and he hasn't expressed any interest in being such. So why is it right for her to uh, force him down that path when it's not something that he seems to have any interest in doing? Yeah, no, good point. And uh, it did seem a bit preachy from her and a bit uh, pre you know, judgmental, so... Um, it was uh, a missed opportunity, as you say, to not uh, you know, bring her uh, to an understanding that, hey, I've got to let him do what he wants, whether I think it's right or wrong. Maybe punching people for money or you know, being a debt collector in that way is not the, the best use of his time, but um, you know, th th it was a missed opportunity, as you say. So that's uh, a disappointment. Yeah, and if that's illegal or if that's something he shouldn't do, she may say, well, I... I can't stand by and watch you do it. Yeah. And if I if I look the other way and something criminal happens, then we're we're going to be against each other. But but as but as far as from a judgmental standpoint, in terms of that, you should be a hero and you should use your powers like I do. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm referring to. And and uh, I think they let that go because in the end, he does come out and he does sacrifice himself and he is um, heroic. Yeah. And well, so now it's not going to be brought up again because he's he changed what she wanted him to do. Yeah. But that's kind of like, well, it's okay as long as you're doing what I want. So everything's mm. fine now. Indeed. All right. And the uh, most recent episode was The Darkest Place. Now, we are launching this uh, podcast in the week that the episode Medusa, Medusa was released. And that's part of the first part of a, a three-part uh, crossover or four-show crossover, if you want to call it that, which we'll get to in a second. But The Darkest Place... Uh, found uh, James Olsen trying to clear his name as the Guardian because he's being accused of being a murderer after another vigilante committed murder and attributed it to the Guardian, and everyone thought it was the Guardian. But um, 
Supergirl also heads out on a solo mission to rescue Monel, who's been captured by Cadmus. And um, this was a, a very explosive episode in the fact that we'd learnt that uh, Hank Henshaw was the real Hank Henshaw was not dead and was calling himself Cyborg Superman after being a bit of a having is a cyborg himself. And Jeremiah Danvers is still alive, or is he? Uh, easily rescuing Supergirl and uh, Monel at the end of the episode. Yeah, I actually really liked this episode. I liked a lot of what happened. I think we were meant to. I think it was a lot of um, reveals in this episode, as you say, with Jeremiah and with Cyborg Superman. And I was kind of hoping Jeremiah would be Cyborg Superman. But on the other hand, that would be very disheartening and sad. So it's kind of good that he wasn't. Although I thought that the fan connections would have been much greater since he played Superman, Dean Cain, mm -hmm. uh, and since uh, Cyborg Superman was originally a you know clone supposed to be a clone or a new existence of superman after he had died in the comics which is where cyborg superman first came from and my problem with the this version of hank henshaw whom he was in the comics being cyborg superman in this show and in this story is that he has no he has no likeness to Superman. He mm. has no connection to Superman. And there is no reason for him to suddenly just spout out, I'm Cyborg Superman. It was a bit badly written. It was a bit clunky. Mm -hmm. It was a bit like no one ever, you know, it happens in these shows all the time. But in general, no one ever walks into a room and says, I'm Scott Vinicombe. How is everyone? Or, you know, no one no one ever introduces themselves when they're in a battle or when they're having an argument or finds the need to say, well, my nickname's John, uh, just out of nowhere. So I felt it was, they wanted to say it because, ooh, Cyborg Superman, but I don't see any reason why this rendition of this character would ever have called himself that. And maybe we'll find out as time goes on, but I don't, and I certainly don't see any reason why he felt it necessary to say it right then. I agree. I thought that was the one part of the episode that felt clunky, as you say. It just didn't ring true. It just didn't make sense for himself to call, you know, Cyborg Hank, maybe, or Hank Cyborg, or whatever. But uh, the fact that he called himself Cyborg Superman was a bit weird, uh, and it just came out of left field and didn't seem uh, true to the character. But uh, it was interesting to see Hank still alive and that he's a cyborg, and maybe the injuries that he, uh, you, know, you know, that were death, uh, that were threatening his life back on that. Uh, that episode where we saw Martian Manhunter take over his life, uh, that Cadmus was able to save him and needed to obviously create a cyborg to do so. But uh, Jeremiah being able, being there and being able to save them at the end seemed um, too easy. And I was wondering if that's a shapeshifter, if that is really the real Jeremiah, or if what you know, how does he just have the run of the place? Yeah, it it, it is a little interesting, and and you do have to wonder. Uh, unless unless somehow they're forcing him to work for them and uh, he hasn't been put in any programs or anything and he just heard about this situation and somehow snuck away mm. uh, and got out. But it's, it, it, the other thing that makes it seem a little bit suspicious is that he stays there at the end uh, when he could have easily went with them. So this is either this is either bad writing 
where there's no, like, uh, at the end of X2, where Jean Grey just says, no, 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 you all go, I'm going to get killed here. When she could have held back the water, got on the ship with them, and they all could have left. In this case, Jeremiah could have left with them. Uh, I guess the excuse was, I, I need to stay here and hold them off because neither of you have powers and you have to limp out of here. Uh, but it seemed to me that it was a little bit unnecessary for him to stay and quote-unquote sacrifice himself so that they could get away uh, because when he first got them out of there, no one was on their tail and they all could have left together. So that makes it either a little suspicious or a little badly written. We'll have to find out if there's some reason he needs to stay there or mm. if he really isn't him, as you say. It did not occur to me that maybe he was some sort of an imposter, uh, but that is certainly possible. Uh, I just found it a little bit weird that it went down the way it went down, and I found myself a little confused as to why he said, I'm not going with you, I'm going mm. to stay here. So, yes, you're right, and I feel the same way. It was a little bit odd and seemed unusual that that is the way it would have went down. Uh, I did like the way they introduced the lead uh, poisoning yes. that uh, Monel has. That was. Nice. I thought it was cool. I, I was wondering when they introduced the character if they would have thought that was a little too silly, or if there was no way that they could. Um, oh, this guy's allergic to lead, and that makes him weak. Uh, so it was neat that they did it with a bullet. Obviously, we're all allergic to bullets, but um, uh, he has the same sort of imperviousness to bullets uh, generally. So the fact that he doesn't. And we know that now is pretty pretty bad for him uh, if people are going to shoot at him with bullets. Now, with the fact that he has super speed and that most incarnations of Mon-El can fly, even though we haven't seen that happen here, uh, he should be able to avoid bullet fire because he should be faster like Superman is than bullets. But maybe he isn't. We'll have to see where that goes. And the other thing is I like that they called back the solar flare, but I thought it was misused because – if I remember correctly, and certainly in the comics when Superman did it, it was a major uh, outlying of energy discharge that built up and built up and built up and got stronger and stronger and stronger and ended up like Cyclops's beam as opposed to this the, the same tiny blue heat vision beams that she normally has. And it, ha it seemed to happen much more quickly than I remember it happening before. Usually there's a buildup, I thought, and it took a while to charge up to the point where it was a solar flare as opposed to just a strong blast of heat vision. And it happened in seconds in the episode, and then she was powerless. Uh, I get it. They were trying to get to the point, and that's what they were going for. But I thought the effect lacked a little bit in the intensity that the beam is supposed to be when it's the solar flare. Yeah, I agree. I thought that, that could have been done better. Uh, and at the end of the episode, and which will lead into Medusa, is the fact that Hank Henshaw, with Supergirl's blood, made his way to the Fortress of Solitude um, and fooled the system there. I don't know why Kelex can't see that it's not Supergirl, but uh, by using the blood and putting his hand onto the, um, uh, the console, he's able to gain access to the database there and asks about Medusa, which is, as we know from the description for the episode, a virus that Cadmus uh, wants to unleash to kill any aliens in the vicinity. And um, to help in that regard, Kara has to enlist the unexpected help of Lena Luthor. 
And at the end of this episode is the introduction of Barry and Siska Ramon to, uh, who arrive on that earth to um, ask Kara to enlist her help to uh, um, help them out on their earth with this big alien invasion that will take place across the Flash, Arrow and DC's Legends of Tomorrow three nights in a row uh, throughout this week, four nights in a row, um, which by the time you hear this will have uh, mostly aired uh, once we release this podcast on Wednesday. What day will that be? Wednesday the the 30th of November. So um, we've got the Medusa on uh, Monday night, the 28th, uh, the Flash on the 29th, Arrow on the 30th, and then DC Legends of Tomorrow on December 1st. So this podcast is released right in the middle of all that, so we're not going to be able to discuss uh, what happened in those episodes, but it's exciting. Medusa, straight into Invasion. All three episodes will be called Invasion uh, across uh, The Flash, Arrow, and DC Legends of Tomorrow, a huge unprecedented event. Yes, indeed. Now, how stupid is Kelex? Uh <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned you're not sure how he can't see that it's – but not only that. He comes out and he says, desist in what you're doing or you will be disintegrated. He doesn't stop. <laughs> then he says, desist in what you're doing or you will be disintegrated. He still doesn't stop. So then I say – the whole time I'm going, okay, disintegrate him. <laughs> and then the third time, desist in what you're doing or you will be disintegrated. He still doesn't do it. Then – Hank Henshaw puts the blood in and assumes the identity of Kara in order to open the thing. And then Kelix shuts down and the red red alert thing goes off and he says, oh, hi, Kara Zor-El, come on in. Uh, so aside from the fact that he can't see, you know, maybe robots uh, operate on uh, sensors only. Um, th- okay. But then he also issues his warning three times which I assume the warning is there so that the person will stop doing what he's doing before he gets to the point where he has fooled you. (laughs) You, as the protective force of the fortress, allowed him to stand there so long, and he clearly wasn't ready to fool you yet, but you gave him the time to fool you by warning him three times and clearly showing the villain that you were never, ever going to do anything about what he was doing. And therefore your warning was worthless. And he got through anyway by, you know, fooling you with the blood and making you think he was Kara Zor-El. Uh, I just thought that was, it was, you know, I get to see Kelix in the fortress and it's cool. And he flies in there and he's issuing warnings and he's badass. And then I realize he's just, inept <laughs> Indeed. so that kind of annoyed me a bit but uh, have we heard this name medusa before no not and and as i saw in a preview for that episode um Kara is unaware of it and hasn't heard of it before and so it's it's uh, a new terminology obviously the word medusa goes back to greek mythology with the gorgon who has the snake for hair and is able to turn men into stone by looking at them but as far as in any uh, Kryptonian sense, no, I've never heard of it before. Okay, because I, I thought that the ending of the episode lacked a little bit of the heft I think they were going for. I felt like it was a little lackluster because he says it and then it you know, it closes on the Greg Berlanti logo and everything. But uh, I thought that you know, when you heard it, you were supposed to go, oh, yeah, Medusa or whatever. <laughs> but since no one had ever heard of it, 
who even knows it's related to this upcoming crossover, who even knows what it has anything to do with. And anybody just watching who doesn't really know or care that there's a Fortnite crossover is just going to go, okay, so what? what is that? And then, you, of course, you have to watch the next episode to find out. But I, I felt like it kind of was a, a bit of a deflate deflation to the sales at that moment when uh, that was the final thing they ended on. Yeah. Well, Medusa doesn't actually have any correlation with the upcoming Invasion crossover that I know of. It just happens to be this next episode for Supergirl. And it's just at the end of this episode, when I guess once the whole Medusa thing's tied up, that uh, the Flash and Cisco will uh, come in and, uh, and that will be the beginning of the crossover event. Uh, Medusa itself no, they keep doesn't talking about anything. Fortnite crossover, so we're really only going to get two minutes at the end of a regular yeah. episode of Supergirl, and the show's going to be wrapped up, and then uh, well, then she's going to get involved. Uh, but it doesn't really have anything to do with the Supergirl show. No, well, that's it's it's they explained it as a as a three uh, three episode event. Invasion is. Uh, the first, uh, this episode of Arrow, then the 100th episode of, uh, sorry, the first episode, this is Flash, then the 100th episode of Arrow, and then DC Legends of Tomorrow. They're all titled Invasion. Uh, but if you don't get to see that the end of the, this week's Supergirl episode has the Flash and Cisco coming to uh, grab Supergirl and get her help, then you won't know that, that, you know, how they did that, because I'm guessing the beginning of the Flash will just have them uh, coming over, you know, that's, they'll be bringing Supergirl with them. But they may not recap that they actually went to her, her Earth and grabbed her. I don't know. They might do that. But um, I guess it's to grab all the Supergirl fans because once they're watching this, uh, this Supergirl episode and they see at the end that she is now going to be in, involved in the, over the next three nights with uh, those th- three other shows, then uh, you might not uh, be watching. But uh, you know, they need to tack that on to the end of this week's Supergirl episode so that you know to watch the following three nights. Well, I'm not sure how they're advertising it. Uh, or if you're talking about the media or if you're just talking about TV commercials, but everything I've read and all these commercials I see while I'm watching Supergirl all say four night crossover event. So it's really kind of a false advertising in that it's not really, although I guess you could argue that the two minutes at the end of a non-connected episode of Supergirl start the crossover. So there's your fourth night. But, um, the other thing I wanted to mention, and and it only comes about every once in a while when something like this big event happens. And I probably said it with man of steel, or I've probably said it in other instances. I long for the days where we didn't have all this knowledge of what was coming. Like you've already told me what the scene is and the episode hasn't even aired yet. Hmm. Uh, I don't I don't love that we already know this is going like how cool would it be if you were just randomly watching the episode and you just thought it was a Medusa episode with Hank Henshaw and whatever happened happened. And then the then the the add on scene at the end that they do on these shows a lot where they tease what might be coming later, not even in the very next episode sometimes. And you go, oh, wow, wow. that's so cool you know, has Flash and Cisco coming through and maybe Arrow's there or whatever it is. And you find out that now uh, this week we're going to see Supergirl on Flash because Flash and Cisco came. And then at the end of Flash, we find out or during Flash, we, oh, wow, look, it's Arrow. He's there, too. I just think it would be so much greater. And and I, I don't I don't know if there's anything there's nothing anybody can do about it, except maybe what Hollywood does sometimes and has closed sets 
and has people sign agreements and make sure that plot points don't get out. And so we do know a lot more about movies than we used to, but there are still, like, I just think it would be great if we didn't know Darth Vader was in Rogue One. Same thing here. I just think it would be great if we didn't know that this was happening, and I guess there's just no way to go back to those times. Yeah, it's sad. I agree with you. It, you know, being out, being surprised is a massive thing that just doesn't happen anymore. Uh, you know, even with comic books, we get the solicitations. We know what's coming out two months in advance or three months in advance. Yeah, I long for those days when you're just sitting back and watching and then go, oh, my God, look at that. Oh, yeah, how cool is that? But, uh, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, sadly. like there'd never be a time when, I don't know if you watched... The next generation, but there'd never be a time now where, uh, when Picard is taken over by the Borg at the final episode of the season, we had no idea whether he mm. was signed on to come back next year, or whether he was going to be saved, or whether he was going to be destroyed when the beam went off. It was when I watched it. It was one of those things where I went, "Oh my God, is there a, is there a contract problem? Does he want to leave the show? Does he need to?" <laughs> We know everything now. There's never going to be a time. Like, it'll still be dramatic, but it won't be. We know Shocking. everything that's going to end before it ends. So yeah. it's it's not. It's there's never. That was in of course what eighty nine, you know ninety or something. So that was a very very long time ago. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just lost a lot of its ability to really shock and awe. I agree. All right, uh, and the fact that these shows are doing so well is fantastic news because we heard this week that the DC shows uh, for Warner Brothers, uh, Time Warner, are, are generating $1 billion in revenue per year for the company. So uh, the DC Comics TV shows are doing great dollars for Time Warner, and that is great for us as fans because that means that uh, if they're generating $1 billion in revenue per year for the company, then they're going to continue with those shows. Yeah, that's a crazy amount of money. And I can't even imagine any shows ever being canceled if, if, if they're, they're generating... You know, you normally cancel a show when it, when it loses Rating. viewers, when, it, when it's dropping in the ratings, when advertisers won't pay for I don't know where this billion dollars comes from. Uh, but but the ratings on none of these CW shows are particularly that impressive. I guess they are for CW, and, and somehow the company is making this kind of money. I mean, that amount of bank, uh, if it's if the billion includes all four shows and, and we only know that amount this year, or well, we only knew it last Gotham. year. Uh, I'm say, so, Oh, so it includes Gotham, too? Um, I guess it does. It just says all the DC Comics TV shows. Okay, so then, uh, yeah, I guess you would assume that it does. Um, that means that once, you know, and it'll probably go up with a f fifth show. Who knows what shows they added or what shows are included. But if it's all five and uh, and they counted it from last year, because you have to have an end of the year to know that, right? Right. I mean, they can't be saying this year they will, or I guess they could make predictions. But a lot of people have been saying the Arrow ratings are dropping, Legends of Tomorrow might be canceled. So who knows what shows are making it? Um, if, if we see, you know, Legends is moving nights because they're saying the ratings have gotten so bad um, and gone down so drastically that it needs help. So they're putting it on with Flash. It's going to be on after Flash starting in January when another show, No Tomorrow, I guess, is getting canceled for bad ratings. So if that doesn't survive, then then we, we will know that not all of the shows are producing the way they want them to. But, but overall, DC television, 
whatever shows are included in that and whatever shows are successful in that is producing a billion dollars a year, which is more than both Batman v Superman and Man of Steel in the combined amount of time since those two movies have been out. In those amount of years, it would be five billion versus less than two billion. That's huge. That's that's obviously TV is where things are headed for these companies when they're talking about using those properties. Yeah, I mean it's incredible, and I love watching them. I'm glad they're on. I I look forward to them. Uh, I I do have a lot of a lot of issues with the way they present television, but clearly it's working for them. Uh, and uh, and I guess they're not looking really to change it when it's that successful. Mm, indeed. Now, uh, the only other TV news we have, or TV-related news, before we move into the comic books, is uh, the announcement that Tom Welling, who, as you know, played Clark Kent on Smallville for 10 seasons, has designed his own Smallville-inspired T-shirt to raise funds for sick children in the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Uh, and that's great news. That's, that's, that's fantastic on his behalf to do that. And the proceeds go, as I said, to the Children's Hospital. They're twenty two ninety nine each. The drama that I have with it is that he's decided to use the slogan no tights, no flights to, or no flights, no tights to promote the shirts and that's what's on the shirt. That's the design of him with his glasses on looking upwards and, or sorry, you know, pushing his glasses up onto his nose. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily be basking in the glory of no flights, no tights when to a lot of fans of Smallville, that was the one detrimental thing that they didn't like about the series. Uh, it seems a bit of a, um, I don't know, kind of in-your-face slogan. Well, it's interesting. You know, I've read uh, a couple of write-ups on this and the idea that he's sending a huge FU or a diss or a middle finger to fans or whatever. And I hear what you're saying, but the strange thing is, and and you know how I feel about Smallville, mm. but the the strange thing is, is that I I had no reaction to this whatsoever. I just thought it was a guy who was involved with Smallville, who was celebrating the fact that he was on the longest run superhero television show that's ever been on, and that he. Uh, also has a connection to this no tights, no flights rule, but he also played Clark Kent, and it has an image of a guy with glasses looking up toward the sky. And uh, I don't know why no tights, no, no flights, no tights has anything to do with sick children, but I think he maybe knew that he could tap into an area of fandom that might buy the shirts and therefore earn more money for the charity. But then based on what you're saying and what I've heard other people say, it might turn people off to buying the shirts, so then it is a bad idea. But it's, in terms of it, if it of it hurting my feelings personally, I just didn't have that effect, and I didn't really get it when I heard people write it. I just think sometimes I just think ads are clickbait, or people write things just to get people incensed. But you are saying the same thing that those write-ups said. So apparently there is some feeling in the f fandom that. That is what's going on here, but I, uh, I, I don't, I don't know that I don't know that I have a negative reaction to it. No, fair enough, and I don't think necessarily that a lot of people have to have, you know, and maybe that's the only slogan you could use to get away with that uh, didn't have to include copyright. You know, you couldn't put um, Smallville or the, you know, or uh, Up Up and Away or something like that. That may be a catchphrase that is 
uh, copyrighted. And so uh, an image of himself pushing up glasses onto his own face with the, you know, a slogan like no flights, no tights is maybe something that is related to Smallville without being a copyrighted thing that he can get away with and still put all the funds towards the children's hospital. Maybe it's, maybe it's as simple as that. It just seemed a, a strange choice in my view because, as I say, I, I see that as a negative connotation about Smallville, not, so, not necessarily something positive to embrace. But that's just me. Well, I mean, listen, uh, I had a lot of issues with Smallville, but I also liked a lot of it. Um, I, I don't think that the truth is, and yes, maybe it went on to a few years too long without flying. But the truth of the matter is the show was not meant to be about Superman. And I know people get angry oh, when yeah, they I say that. that and when they said it for the last few years. And we know, we know, we get it. It's 10 years now. It's a little long. But 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 that is the truth. As much as a cliche as that has become as an excuse as to why he's not using his powers or whatever, it really wasn't ever meant to be about the character of Superman. It was always meant to be about the guy who Superman was before he became Superman. Yeah. So the problem you run into when you have success and when the show stays on, and again, the ratings for Smallville most of the years were lower than any of the ratings for any of the shows now, and the shows now have low ratings from what I remember of ratings television being. But it somehow lasted for 10 years. It somehow still holds the title as longest-running superhero show. It was considered very successful. I guess the network had even less viewership at that time, so that amount of viewers wasn't as bad as it might seem like now. Same reason why the shows now are considered successful ratings, even though they only get about three million or whatever, because they only have they have much less households than a lot of the other networks. But the idea that there was no flights and no tights, and then the idea that we rumored, heard that that rule came from Tom, whether it's true or not, and I, as much as I want to blame him or as much as everybody wants to blame him or as much as everybody wants to say it came from him, Tom Welling was a nobody. If he came on the set after he was cast and said, listen, I'll do this, but if you want me, and he threw back his hair, you're going to have to have no tights and no flights. So... That rule sticks or I'm walking. They'd say, okay, walk. But the point is they didn't want flights. They didn't want tights. So it may have come up years and years later where once he was already Clark and they couldn't recast, he might have said, no, 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 no. This show's supposed to be about Clark Kent becoming Superman. Once he becomes Superman, the show is over. So there can't be any tights and there can't be any. Who knows how it went down behind the scenes? But from a standpoint of what the show was meant to be, it totally makes sense that somebody might argue that we shouldn't have tights and we shouldn't have flights. There are movies for that. There are shows about Superman for that. This isn't about Superman. This is about young Clark Kent becoming Superman. And believe me, I've made it clear that I believe the show failed in many, many ways of showing us how he became Superman and who Superman was and who the type of character Clark was. I think they dropped the ball almost every chance they got. But the show was meant to be about Clark. So the fact that he never donned the tights and there never were any flights, except that there were, doesn't really hurt that vision, which is what the show was supposed to be in the first place. And so I get that you're saying it's a negative connotation, but on the other hand, the show lasted 10 years. People watched it. It was considered a, a huge success. Mm -hmm. And people still now talk about uh, it should be Tom Welling instead of Henry Cavill. 
it should have been Tom Welling instead of Brandon Routh. Uh, Tom Welling, Tom Welling, Tom Welling. People are still talking about it. And, uh, you know, whatever McDonald's he's working at now, he's still laughing about the <laughs> fact that that people still think he should be cast as Superman, even though he didn't seem to want to play the character to its full extent. And listen, nobody blames Michael Rosenbaum, but in my opinion, the year he left the show leading up to it was one of the worst seasons for Lex Luthor. It was one of the worst times Michael Rosenbaum was on the show. It was weaker, I thought. Once they decided to make that decision and he was the bad guy and he was pushing people out of windows and he himself said, once that happened, I knew my time on the show was done because the point of this show was just like it was showing Clark becoming Superman, it was showing Lex become the villain. And once Lex became the villain, for me, from a Michael Rosenbaum's voice, he said, that was it for me. The show was it was done. The, the exciting part of it, the, the meaningfulness of that character was in seeing him become who he would become. Once he became that, there was nowhere else for it to go. And that's when he decided to leave the show. And, and at that point, he and Tom Welling and the other actors on the show did have some power. And there was there was nothing they could say or do to convince him to stick around, mm. even though I'm sure they would have wanted him to as a major player on the show that would then be a strong villain for Clark. Yep. But he decided to leave because the character became. So that again goes to Clark, uh, Tom Welling wanting to stay Clark as Clark as long as possible because the show's over once you put on the tights. That's that's the show. Yeah. So I get that you're saying it's a negative connotation, but on the other hand, there are other places for Superman flying around in all his regalia, and Smallville was never meant to be that. Huh? I get it I that get around it. season six, people wished that he would have been wearing the big red S and flying around and saving people and living in Metropolis and being Clark full-time, And but but that isn't what it was. So, yep. uh, you know, I don't see it... I. I I get that people do, and I understand, and I would have liked to see him fly, but but I think that was the point. Agreed. Okay, well, let's move on. Uh, we've got uh, more we need to get to, and um, we're going to comic books now where we've got two, two issues of action comics that need to uh, be looked at. That were Action Comics 966 and Action Comics 967. I'm just trying to look through all the different things that happened in this particular issue. Uh, what's your memories of these two? I'm trying to remind myself what happened in Action Comics 966. Well, as you're trying to remind yourself, I'll go into another one of my tirades that I think is what makes people not like me. Um, the, <laughs> the thing is, I try to be honest and... I um, I think I, I think I either hurt people's feelings or I turn people off by being honest. And what I mean by that is I feel like uh, people love this new launch of Superman and this new launch of Lois and everybody else because they've been fooled. And, and what I mean by that is the producers and the publishers and the editors and the writers and everybody who came together and decided to do this said, listen, they really want to see, quote-unquote, their Superman. So let's just tell them their Superman's been in the ether somewhere for a while, and it's still he's still out there, and we're going to bring him and introduce him, and, and they'll be happy no matter what we do. And so people were. And maybe the stories are good, and maybe people really are authentically loving what's going on. 
I feel like it's more a matter of we're just glad you got rid of what we didn't like. And most people were closed off to that to begin with. And I think I've said a lot of this already. So once they erased that continuity, even though they haven't fully erased it yet, people were just happy to have something back that the writers then told them was something that they had before. When in fact, it's all a made up construct and there is no person who was before. There was just a written Superman before and a written Superman now. And now they're saying that the written Superman that's going on right now is one that was written before that has somehow come back through time and is here with us now. And for me, I'm remiss in my duties at the Superman homepage because I have not read these books. I did not read last month. I don't like, I'm not enjoying it. I don't like what they've done. I don't feel this is Superman. I don't feel this is Superman for Batman and Wonder Woman. I don't feel like he would be accepted as a member of the Justice League. I feel like it's a huge misstep, not because they needed to keep New 52, but it would have been better to just say, we're wiping everything clean and we're going back to where we were before. Instead of trying to fool us into thinking that this was something we had missed or that he was still out there in the ether. Just say, you know what? We screwed up. Nobody liked New 52. It sucked. It was terrible. Uh, Superman wasn't Superman, or at least many fans didn't think he was. So now we're just going to have Superman again. Here he is. Congratulations. He's back. Forget the New 52. It blew. Now let's move on. But instead of doing that, they've tried to write it into continuity that all this stuff still happened and the real Superman was killed and no one cares and Lois was killed and no one cares. And now there's these other characters that are still the same characters, but they were just kind of lost in a dark hole that no one could find. And now they're back. And that makes everybody happy. And it doesn't it just doesn't make me happy. And I don't. And that's okay. I don't have to be happy. And everybody can disagree with me. And that's fine, uh, but I just don't understand how it's not being seen for what it is, and it's a ruse to reset what they had made a mistake of by launching the new 52 anyway. And if it was going to be that, why not just say, you know what, 52 was a failed experiment, we're just going to cancel it, and we're going to continue from where we left off. Because, you know, why? Because it's not just Superman that we're looking at here. There were things that worked in the new 52 for other characters that they maybe wanted to hold on to. So the things that weren't working for Superman were able to be written out or, or changed over or whatever. And I understand what you're saying in regards to... But people do care about the death of Superman. People do care about what's happening with Lois. It's currently what's happening in the comic books at the moment. Uh, in Superman, uh, in Action Comics 966, it's all about Lana Lang as the new Superwoman coming to this Lois Lane and this Clark Kent and saying, hey, you can't take over her life. You can't just think that you can step in and do all that. And Lois saying, look, I don't want to, but the Lois is, that Lois reached out to me and I've been getting messages to say that I need to look into this and that I need to try to uh, find out what happened to her and all that kind of stuff. So I think what people are enjoying is, yes, they think there's a lot, there is that aspect of people saying, yes, I'm getting back the Superman that I enjoyed, but the, the, the writing is really good. The stories are really good. The artwork is really good. And I think that's what people are enjoying. Like people like Michael Bailey, who, yes, was a, a, a post-crisis fan and was big into the John Byrne era, and that, that's his Superman. He's not all about oh, I've got my Superman back, he's, he's all about, wow, these, these stories are really well written. I'm really enjoying where they're taking these characters. I don't understand what's happening. There's a lot of mystery in there involved, but they're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. There is some really good threads here. There are really good stories here that are tying into each other. It all seems to be, you know, 
working out too nicely as far as they d keep jumping from mystery to mystery and they you know they're giving us little bits here and there and uh, we're they, we're growing these characters are growing rather than just being on the page they're actually developing and uh, I think that's what a lot of fans are latching onto is that the story writing with guys like Dan Jurgens and and uh, Peter Tomasi they're telling really good stories it doesn't matter what Superman it is the fact that it feels like Superman and the stories that are being told feel like Superman is what people are latching onto. Well, I hope that that's it. I mean, I haven't found that, and I don't have a loyalty to people who happen to write a version of the character I liked years and years ago. Uh, I like John Byrne as well as t in terms of the story that was told at that time. I couldn't care less if it was uh, write, written by you or written by some guy out on the street who's homeless now or if it was written by John Byrne. If the story came out the way it was and that's the way Superman went on for 10 or 15 years before the next reboot, which which has happened since mm -hmm. the beginning of the character and will happen again. Uh, if that's the one that we all liked, you know, the Lex Luthor businessman, the, the, the mogul, the, the, that kind of thing that everybody's comparing Trump to now, um, that, that, that's what I liked. It didn't matter to me that John Byrne wrote it because I'm sure that John Byrne has written some stinkers in his time. And oh, I know sure. that other writers that have written great things have written bad things. So if the stories are great and if everybody's loving the stories, then I think that's great. Uh, I didn't feel that. I felt more like I was meant to love the star power of the artist that used to be and the idea that this was my Superman. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I connected to the stories the way you're saying that a lot of people do. And obviously that's what the company wants not because they care, but because they want to make money. And the way to make money is to have people feel connected to these characters and these stories. So whatever you have to do, whether it's bring back the old writers, bring back a character that was missing, whatever it is you have to do, write good stories is probably on top of the list. Yeah. Um, I just, for me, didn't, didn't, I'm not enjoying it. Uh, I don't like the Super Son thing. I, I made that clear from the beginning. I don't think Superman acts like a good father. I don't uh, think that Lana and Lois even had a relationship, so her suddenly saying you can't just replace her or take over her life seems out of place to me. But, uh, you know, it's possible that for the same reasons I said people were closed off to the New 52, uh, I'm somewhat closed off here, although I have read up to this point i just haven't been reading and i'm not i'm not i feel bad because i'm not jumping up and down to go out and read them like most people are you mentioned michael bailey I, i'm so glad i have these superman comics to read they're so good now uh and i don't remember him being he didn't hate the new 52 uh i don't think he was a hater that just hated it i think uh he likes good stories yeah, so the stories are it. good that's what that's what he's liking uh and for me uh, it wasn't doing it for I you know, a lot of the things that they were doing and, and trying to give us weren't connecting for me. And I'm sure there are other people who don't have it connecting for them. But I, I feel like I'm missing something because I do hear a lot of fans really enjoying it. And, and it sounds like you yourself are among them. Yeah. Yeah, I am, and uh, it's uh, you know it's a, a great time for me to be able to read and enjoy and look forward to reading them and putting those titles to the top of my list. So uh, you know, let's let's uh, obviously it's not something that we can discuss in at length. Um, so let's move away into something that we can discuss, and that is the 2016 Shield Awards, which are the awards that 
are out there for fans to be able to voice their opinions on the comic books that have a 2016 cover date on them, as well as the TV shows, movies that have been released in 2016, the merchandise that's come out this year, all related to Superman. The Shield Awards are ongoing, uh, happening right now. You'll see the big banner at the top of the Superman homepage website that will allow you to go to the voting page so that you can vote on the 15 categories there that uh, go across a range of topics, as I've discussed that allow you to, uh, to state your opinion. And we'll be uh, closing those off in early December. So you've got a little limited time to be able to get your vote in for the 2016 Shield Awards. And by voting, you get a chance to go into the draw to win a copy of the Blu-ray edition of Batman v Superman, the Ultimate Cut, and the DVD of the complete first season of Supergirl. So get involved in the 2016 Shield Awards. All right, something that... Uh I guess you put a lot of time in every year, just like everything he does on the site, guys. Uh, it's really, um, there's a lot of categories. There's a lot of things you can vote on. So uh, definitely, if, especially if you're enjoying the books, there's a lot of stuff up there that uh, will be right down your alley. Let's move into the big question segment of the show. Let's start with the big question. Last month's big question was, what did you think of Tyler Hoechlin as Superman? Guthrie McLean wrote, I love Tyler's performance. I hope to see more of him soon. It would be great to see him guest star on The Flash. That would be huge. Tyler's Superman had charm, confidence, kindness, and he smiled. He also had enough lines. He was everything I wanted him to be. I hope we can see Cavill's Superman develop the same way. In contrast, Cavill may have the perfect physique for Superman, but Tyler had way more lines in two episodes, and his performance was at least delightful. The DCEU needs improvement. Fair enough. Thanks, Guthrie. Appreciate your opinion on that. Uh, Brandon Whitmore, he also wrote in. He says, I agree with the majority that Tyler nailed the personality of the character that most of us wanted to see. Very impressed with him. Having said that, the writing of how he was handled was off, off at times. I didn't like that he didn't check on the safety of those on board the crash ship in his intro before flying off and hated that he smiled and made a quip at Metello number 2 when he was near death after having his synthetic heart ripped out. Very out of character for Superman. So maybe not so light from Brandon. Well, I would have to say that I don't I don't know that he was near death. Uh, I didn't get that impression. I don't really... It's been a while since I watched it, mm. but I don't remember exactly how it went down. But uh, a quip after you've defeated a foe is okay with me. I don't think he was being uh, flippant with someone who was about to die. I did have a discussion with someone who talked about uh, Superman would never beat down on a helpless opponent or whatever. And this was Metallo, who has a kryptonite heart, who could kill him in any second and is super-powered. Um, so not that that's what you're saying here, but I don't, I, I, I think, I, I don't think it was too, for me, out of character because I don't, I don't, I didn't read the scene that way. I didn't get the impression that mm. he was killing someone and making a joke about it, but, 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 uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Who do we have next? Uh, Henry Bernstein wrote, I absolutely loved it. I thought he was perfect as both Clark and Supes. He seemed kind, good, smart, and heroic. I loved his one-sided conversation with Lois on the phone, and I especially liked how he played his attitude towards Martian Manhunter. That is the way superheroes disagree. They don't need to start punching each other. I would be so happy if CW added a new Superman show with Hoechlin to their already awesome lineup. Is it Hecklin? It's Hecklin. Hecklin. Okay, very good. Uh, the you, problem Henry. with a Superman show on the CW, and I've thought about this and everybody would like it, is that what, what would make it 
stand apart from Supergirl. You know, mm-hmm. they're already using all of his enemies. Yeah. I don't see how they could do a show. No, unless Supergirl concluded and they decided to do a Superman show afterwards. Oh, that's possible. Okay, Patrick O'Neill writes in. He says, I thought Tyler did a good job as Superman. His portrayal was similar to Christopher Reeve, just not as bumbling, which is good. I loved the Chris Reeve Superman movies, and he was phenomenal in the role, but I always felt that his Clark was a little too over-the-top bumbling around. I'm fine with Tyler going more closely to the Christopher Reeve route. I just don't think Superman in the show should ever get should get too over-the-top or campy. Overall, he did well, and I hope we see, get to see him again. Thank you, Patrick. I think I have to agree with that. Yeah, I think I agree with Patrick as well. Nice, uh, nice summation there. Our new big question is, what did you like best about the Fortnite Invasion TV crossover event between Supergirl, The Flash, Arrow, and DC's Legends of Tomorrow? Yeah, by the time you've uh, listened to this podcast, you'll have uh, most likely seen all four episodes. So let us know what you think of the Invasion crossover event, and uh, we'll re- happily read out your responses here on our next podcast. You can do that by clicking on the uh, big question button found at the Radio KL webpage at the Superman homepage, and we'll read them out here next month. I'm laughing at you, you hear? Laughing! All right, it's time now for the Superman comedy sketch. What do you got, Steve? Well, we've got an old one here from one of the episodes of Seinfeld that was titled The Stock Tip. And it's a little bit with Jerry and George having a discussion about Superman. And uh, here it is. Take a listen. Well, I I think Superman probably has a very good sense of humor. I never heard him say anything really funny. But it's common sense. He's got super strength, super speed. I'm sure he's got super humor. I think that, but you... Either you're born with a sense of humor or you're not. It's not going to change. Even if you go from the red sun of Krypton all the way to the yellow sun of the Earth. (laughs) Why? Why would that one area of his mind not be affected by the yellow sun of the Earth? I don't know, but he ain't funny. There you have it. That was our comedy sketch. And remember, if you do have something you'd like like us to play here, a comedy sketch about Superman or superheroes, then, you know, feel free to let us know. I always love those bits on Seinfeld. It's like the only superhero TV we could get at that time. But (laughs) uh, (laughs) if you talk about Superman for 30 seconds, you know, uh, I I like that. Uh, Let's get to our super secret soundbite. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency, Superman, and that's you. Now, last month's sound came from the pilot episode of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Let's hear it again. Jimmy... Never underestimate the need for a good obituary. Well, that was the sound. Who got it right, Scotty? Well, nine people guessed it correctly. They were Patty, Tom Kubicki, David Huang, Fred Walsh, Rick Ruiz, Lynn S. M., David Barantz, Maury Hilder, and Patrick O'Neill. Congratulations to those nine people. Let's see if those nine people and more people can guess where in the world of Superman this new sound comes from. Clark, don't do it. You put that ring on, you're not yourself. Well, if you think you know where in the world of Superman that new new super secret soundbite comes from, then send your answer in. You'll find the super secret soundbite entry form under the favorites menu under the radio KAL button, and we'll be happy to read out the names of the people who guess it right next month. 
right. And now it's time for the Superman song of the month. And it's Hal Ketchum's Hang In There, Superman, from his album, uh, 1996 album, Hits. The song was a tribute to Christopher Reeve. Here it is, Hang In There, Superman, by Hal Ketchum. Facing the biggest challenges that you have ever had For peace and truth and justice, you struggled every day Speeding to a rescue faster than a train No, you were my hero when I was just a kid I used to dream of doing every single thing that you did Jumping off of buildings, flying like a bird While potentates and presidents are hung on everyone May I speak for everybody when I say Hang in there, Superman You always came out fighting at the bell London needs your help Paris, France and Budapest can do it for themselves Forgive the imposition, now I know you've got it rough This old world still needs you, boy, so hang on in their tongue May I speak for everybody when I
Well, that was the song, and that is our show. Now, remember, if you do have a suggestion for us, something that you think we need to be discussing here on the podcast, maybe there's a song you'd like to request, uh, as I said, a comedy sketch that you can uh, contribute to the show, or maybe there's a big question you'd like us to ask of the fans, all those suggestions can be sent to us using the KAL feedback form found at the Radio KAL website or webpage, or you can send us an email. My email is steve at supermanhomepage.com. You can email Scotty. His email address is scotty at supermanhomepage.com. And we'll endeavour to use those suggestions in a future show. But for now, thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Steve. And remember, everyone, even if you're not enjoying the current incarnation of comic books, always look up in the sky. You've been listening to Radio KAL, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com and our proud sponsor, Patrick O'Neill.